0: Okay, good morning, guys. Lovely to be with you all. And I can't see the Bible because I have my glasses on. It's not annoying. Just bear with me. Okay, so we're back in John's Gospel. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 16. And we're starting at verse 16. So I'll give you a little while to find it in your Bibles. So, John 16, starting at verse 16. And this little bis- this passage is titled, Sorrow Turned to Joy. In a little while you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he is telling us? In a little while you will not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They said, What is this this he is saying? In a little while, we don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labour, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away that joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me for anything. Truly I tell you, Anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Morning, everyone. Really good to see you. Do I need to press play? Uh, It's all good to go, is it? Okay, great. Uh, Let's just pray. We come to God's word. Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful and refreshing. As has already been said, it's food for our souls. And Lord, we confess that we often hunger and we don't go to the right places. But we thank you that your word nourishes us. And so we ask that you would nourish us again. You lift our eyes to Jesus and sustain us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So we're back in John now. Uh, I think you've had a little detour and now you're, you're back here with me uh, in John 16, uh, 16 to 24. So this teaching takes place in what is often referred to as the upper room discourse. Discourse sort of means conversation. Also, so we could call it the upper room conversation if you like. It has that name because Jesus has been sharing the Last Supper with his disciples. And uh, you remember the circumstances of the Last Supper, uh, Mark fourteen twelve to 15. So a bit before our reading, I'll just read some of this for you. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the pa- Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover. So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So Jesus has been teaching in an upstairs room uh, in a house where they celebrated the Passover. But then in John 14.31, so if you would have a look down at John 14.31, it tells us that by this point they've left the upper room. So they've left and they're on their way to the place where Jesus is going to be arrested. But it's still generally referred to as the upper room speech because it's one complete bit of teaching from Jesus. And the nice thing is, you see, what is it Jesus wants to communicate before he leaves earth? Uh, You know, your final words are often very important, aren't they? If I'm dying and someone says, what are your final words? I'm probably not going to say, can you pop over the road and get me a newspaper? I'll choose to say something a little bit more profound because they're my last words. And these are Jesus' last words. And so he's preparing his disciples for him going. And he's telling them about the hardship that is on the way. He's preparing them for that, that he's going to be arrested and killed And remember that we as the readers know where the story is heading. But they don't completely. It's still unfolding. And and they're really uh, still darkened in their understanding and thinking. Uh, Jesus' main point is that his humiliating and lonely death will leave the disciples feeling alone and in despair. However, there is an eternal joy set before them. Uh, We'll see today that the grief of the cross will be swallowed up by joy. And so, this is a pattern that we as believers in Jesus need to understand. We need to grasp on every day of the week and when we go through difficult things. Now, immediately before our text for today, Jesus has been teaching uh, about the Holy Spirit, this person of the Trinity, who when they um, are left by Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and comfort them and remind them of Jesus and allow them to feel his presence With them, He won't leave them as orphans. So uh, to jump into this idea that we're looking today of grief turning to joy, uh, we're going to see under a couple of headings some things. Uh, First of all, we're going to see two little wilds. Two little wilds. Um, So if you look down at verse 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. So the first little while, Jesus is preparing the disciples for the fact he will be killed and be taken from them. And the disciples drill down into this teaching. They've got so many questions. There's a bit of hubbub probably at the back of the line as they're walking through the darkness and making their way to, uh, to Jesus being betrayed. Verse 17, what does he mean by this? Can you see that there in Verse 17. And verse 18, they say, you know, to paraphrase, we just don't get it. We don't understand what he's talking about. Although Jesus has been teaching clearly about his death, they're not just in denial, but in some ways they're kind of spiritually darkened as well. Uh, So let's think about the predictions that they've witnessed. They've witnessed some very uh, amazing things. Jesus was anointed at Bethany. Do you remember the anointing at Bethany when this woman came? And she took this perfume. Now, I don't know if you have perfume or aftershave in your house. I don't know how much it costs. Uh, Let's say you've been uh, really uh, pushing the boat out and it's 20 quid. I don't know. Is that a lot of money for perfume or for aftershave? No. Shall I go for 40? 50? 50. Okay, we'll say 50. Let's say you've spent 50 quid on some perfume. That would be quite a lot of money, wouldn't it? She spent a year's... Wages. Whoa! A year's wages! On perfume. And then she like pours it on Jesus. Isn't that crazy? If Joe was here, he would say, Isn't that mental? So (laughs) I'll say that just to remind you of Joe, okay? (laughs) Isn't that crazy that she did that? Mary poured perfume on his head that was worth a year's wages. And Jesus says she did that to prepare for my death. I think that is a lesson that we would all remember. But they're spiritually darkened, so they forget that. Okay. And then, Jesus said things like this in John 12. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's not that ambiguous, is it? Especially when he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So Jesus is very much like, let me paint you a picture, guys. I'm going to die. And then in Mark's gospel, it's even clearer. Mark 8, 31 to 32. He then began to teach them. So this is where he takes him aside and says, look, let me just be abundantly clear about this. Luke, Mark eight thirty-one. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. That's Mark's decision. He was plain in his teaching. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So that's the first little while. Jesus is saying, look guys, in a little while, and it really is a little while, he's going to die. And they need to be able to get their heads around that. The The second little while is the time between Jesus' death and resurrection, when they would just think that all the plans have failed. Okay, now some people think that second little while, do you see that at the end of verse 16? is talking about the little while before Jesus' return. I don't think that particularly makes sense um, because he's going to go on to, to give them some instructions like in verse 23 of, uh, of chapter 16 where he talks to them about prayer and asking for things in Jesus' name. So you know when we're on our knees and we're asking for things in Jesus' name, that is a privilege that we have along with them. They were given that, uh, that privilege. But it only makes sense really, I think, if it's describing the sort of in-between time. It doesn't make sense if it's talking about, if the second little while is the time before Jesus' second coming, that puts the time of prayer and perseverance somewhere in uh, heaven or the new creation, which doesn't quite make sense. So I think the second little while is the time that they'll have between his death and his resurrection, where they're going to be on their knees like, in Jesus' name, help us. Okay, I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Asking the Father for things in Jesus' name is what the believer does on this side of eternity. Uh, So what are we to learn from their confusion? Well, when we're confused about something, or feel that we don't have spiritual light, we need to go back to Jesus' words. And much has been said in this meeting already, hasn't it, about the importance of Jesus' words. In a sense, it doesn't matter what we feel, but we go back to Jesus' words If they'd done this, they would have remembered the things he'd already said about dying and rising. We can get ourselves in such a tiz, can't we? By forgetting what Jesus has said clearly to us in in his word. And I know that I I can do that. Now, the other day, my 10-year-old was putting me through my paces. We don't always have spiritual conversations like this. Sometimes we have conversations like... Well, I won't tell you the conversations. Normally, don't shout at your brother and things like that. But we were having a conversation early on, and he was like, Dad... Where did the ark end up? And I was like, oh, I know it's on a mountain. Oh, what's the mountain, Sinai? No, 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 it's not that one. I had to go back through and have a look, right, in the scriptures. And then he's like, um, where was the law given? And so then we were talking about that mountain, and that was Sinai. And I was having to go through the pages. And then he was like, you know, what about this? What about that? And it just sort of reminded me, like, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You need to remember the things you've read in the Bible, and it just reminded me, like, we need to go down and write them down. I have a physical notepad, and I write things in. Obviously, I've not written very much in there about mountains in the Bible, so I need to go and do that. Um, and then I have a little app on my phone as well, and I write things in there. And sometimes I even label them, like, this is about the Holy Spirit, or this is about, I don't know, financial giving, or this is about uh, loving your your spouse, or something like that. We need, to, if we don't know the Word, then we can't remind ourselves of the Word when difficult times coming, come. And, and they could have been a lot clearer on Jesus' death and resurrection if they'd remembered the words that they'd heard. I know they hadn't been written down yet, but if they'd remember the words that they, they'd heard. I think sometimes we're guilty of not doing the hard work of remembering the word um, and, and being able to, uh, to, to say what it says and to call it uh, to mind. We fall back on Google and we're like, oh, Just give me my phone for a moment and I'll just Google it and then I'll tell you what Jesus says about this or that. Now, that is quite a blessing, isn't it? But it's also a little bit lazy. Uh, And it means that we haven't necessarily got the word so much there. So that when we're in a really difficult situation, in a bit of a pickle, as my grandma used to say, we can get the word and we can go back to it. Uh, You know, and and that's just so important. And I want to encourage you as a church to hold on to God's word. At the moment, I know that you want to do that. It's so vital, it helps us in difficult times. I should remember the promises. So can I ask, where do you write what the word says? Where do you write what the word says? Right, right. so that's two little wilds. Understanding this grief turning to joy, we then have two strong emotions. So take a look down at verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the word World rejoices. So, this is the first emotion, and it's a strong one. It's an all pervasive sadness. It's infinitely greater than that news you hear that that friend um, has died. And you've known that it's coming, but it's that sadness. Jesus will be taken from them, and they will grieve. The person they had such high hopes for is cruelly going to be taken from them. They will be thinking, Are they coming for me next? They will be hunted as those associated with Jesus for bearing the name for Jesus. So Jesus being real, the thing they've been so excited about is to be taken from them and it's him. Operation Salvation for the World feels like it's going to come crashing down and burning. That isn't what's happening. Actually, things are just taking off. But to them, in their sadness, it will feel a great grief. They've left everything for Jesus. And he's telling them that that things are about To feel like they've gone wrong. Had God not heard their prayers. Had he not sent them. The one they had been waiting for. So Jesus is incredibly kind. In preparing them for the shock of betrayal. His brutal death. And loneliness. And remember they've got to deal with the whole thing as well. That it was someone they broke bread with. Who betrayed Jesus. Who had been part of. Their um, friendship group. So they've got all that going on. Grief. It's great grief. But let's remember how the Psalms paint Jesus' own experience. His experience is one of abandonment. Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear at their prey. So the words describe the inner feelings of the Messiah as he's accused and crucified. And the disciples are going to catch some of that hatred as well. If you hang around with Jesus, you are going to catch some of that as well. They're likely to feel like they've been thrown to the wolves. This reminds us of how hard it can be as a Christian. We walk in a different, to a different beat, to a different drum than the world. And uh, it, it might seem like something that, that's really uh, not obvious to them as they, they're going to go through this. But the world rejoices, so Jesus dies, and the world rejoices and says, "That's much more convenient and tidy." Now that we've killed the Messiah, everyone's rejoicing in their mourning. They walk to a different step, to a different beat than uh, than the world does. But grief is not where the disciples are going to stay, because they are not defeated. Although it feels like that, they're not defeated. But the second half of verse 20 describes the second important emotion the disciples must understand. Can you see it? In the second half of verse 20, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. And then verse 21, uh, the scripture puts the preacher in a very difficult situation to talk about the pain of childbirth. I'm not going to try and empathize with that too much. I'll be on a dangerous Territory, But I think we understand what it says. A mother goes through terrible pain, but she knows that her pain is not meaningless. You see, there's pain which is meaningless and there's purposeful pain. And childbirth is purposeful pain. Um, Verse 22. From the pit of despair, they will be lifted up and filled with joy. I remember Mim saying to me about childbirth, "Um, I thought I was going to die. (laughs) (laughs) But then uh, your body... Forgets all that, doesn't it? And you think, oh, it'd be nice to have another baby. And then, then presumably you think you're going to die again. It must be difficult. Um, but it's purposeful pain, isn't it? Actually, which leads to this uh, beautiful little child. And the scripture is saying here that none of the pain that we go through for Jesus is purposeless. It is all purposeful. As you had walked past the cross, you would have thought, what a tragedy that a young man has been killed who said he was the Messiah. But through that, God was reconciling the world to himself. So the things we look at in appearances, we need to judge beyond that with with the eyes of faith. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And that's exactly what's happened. What happens? Let's turn to John 20 and verse 20. If you just flick on a little bit. John 20 verse 20. Jesus came and stood among them, this is after his death and resurrection, and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they did experience that joy, the grief. I bet they talk about it like, do you remember how much we were despairing, we felt in the pit? But isn't it amazing now our grief has been turned to joy? And they could see that the things that Jesus had promised really did come true. So let's turn back to chapter 16, please. Their pain is purposeful and it will end with great, greater joy than they can possibly imagine. And I want to say that as a believer in Jesus, that's true for you as well. Your pain now will end with greater joy, if you're a follower of Jesus, than you can possibly imagine. I can't scratch at that for you this morning and, and reveal even the corner of the joy. Not, not a little bit. Um, you know, my my father-in-law is an artist, and occasionally, well, quite a lot. He still paints oil paintings, and he'll leave them to dry. But we can go and have a little peek sometimes from the conservatory through into his study window. And it's a bit hard to see through in there, but you might just catch the corner of it. And you know, there's a great painting there. I can't even show you the corner of the joy that Jesus has got for you, um, but it's there. No one will take away their joy. Can you see that? Verse twenty-two. No one will take away their joy. And no one will one day take away your joy. Um, We will experience, I believe, as we walk with Jesus and abide with him, joy, even in hardship. And if we've been a Christian a little while, we know that the things that seem very difficult at the time, Jesus deals with and brings us through them and we're like, oh, right now I can see the purpose. Your ways were right. But we will have full joy... When we're with him. And no one will take that joy either. Which is why we have to be Easter Christians. Are we Easter Christians? Let's be Easter Christians. Resurrection Christians. When we find ourselves opposed for Jesus' sake. The world will try to silence. To undermine. To discourage. The the devil wants to drive a coach and horses of discouragement through our lives. And through our, our churches. And we have to resist him. Yeah, I remember one of the Colin Buchanan songs. Uh, resist, resist the devil. James 4 verse 7. Because uh, he needed something to rhyme with devil. Uh, James 4 7. <laughs> you know that one, don't you? I think? You don't know that one? Oh, uh, So Colin Buchanan. Uh, children's kids songs. Resist, resist the devil. James 4 verse 7. Um, we need to resist him, actually. In the struggle... We have the great privilege of prayer. And can you see that? That it, it, it says, you know, ask in my name, verse 26. Uh, the, Father, the Father loves you because you've loved me. I've believed that I came from God. So the Father loves us. And the picture that we have is that the Father isn't looking for us to be amazing or all sorted. He just wants us to love Jesus. And him through Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. And as we do that, he says, I'm listening. And he, he wants to listen to our prayers. Uh, we don't need hundreds of people in our church. We, we just as two and three meet together. He wants to listen to, to what we've got. And we, the devil trembles when Christians gather together and pray. So often our fears are taken away as well. Maybe we feel depressed at something happening in our life. And like we need to be lifted up when we come to him in prayer, he lifts us up again and brothers and sisters lift us up as well. And there's a great promise in Jude 24, which says that we will be presented before God's glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So that experience that they had, they had joy, Jesus being resurrected, no one would take that joy from them. Brother, sister, you will be presented before Jesus with great joy. And no one will be able to take that away. And without fault. Isn't that great? Because we stuff things up all the time. And even when we think we're doing really well, we're actually not. But we will be presented with great joy and without fault through Jesus. So whatever we're going through today, we must um, allow the grief of the cross to be swallowed up by the joy of resurrection to let that sustain us, to take hold of, of that joy. And uh, that's what brothers and sisters are doing all around the world. And uh, so let's take encouragement from that. And I just want to encourage you as well that um, we want to keep standing with you in prayer. And I know that we're experiencing some hard times at the moment from sort of structural things and arrangement things, but you know what John said earlier is great. And we're standing with you in prayer And to see the mission on Cletamoe of people hearing of Jesus. And uh, yeah, it's been good to be with you this morning. Can I I just pray? Lord God, we thank you for that pattern of the cross. Uh, Although we do experience grief as we are in that pattern of cross and... uh, serving you Jesus and a servant is not greater than his master will experience some of the same things. Lord we know that there's joy as well. We thank you for that joy and that joy that we have uh, in Jesus and experience this morning even. We thank you for the great joy set before us as well and I pray for the church here that you'd surround them and protect them and thank you for their great joy in you Lord. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.